Secret Spillers and future Secret Spillers. We are so glad you found our pod. I'm Jay. And I'm G. Join us on our journey to uncover the secrets behind ethical, sustainable, and health-focused brands. Together, we interview industry leaders and experts who are paving the way towards a more conscious and responsible future. We aim to inspire and empower you to become more informed and conscious consumers, from fashion to food, to beauty and biohacking, no topic is off limits. Tune in as we do our little part to make the world healthier, safer, and cleaner. You'll find that with us, there really are no secrets added. Okay, let's spill. Hi, Secret Spillers. We just got off an amazing interview with Stephanie, one of Georgie's old friends who is living all of our Yellowstone wildest dreams out in Montana. Truly, she um, was a really great uh, interview because I feel like we talked to brands and Mm -hmm. um, companies and people doing work that is conscious of the products they're making. But Steph is literally working to conserve land. Um, So lots of like big picture thoughts on all the efforts that we do every day to um, keep this world the way we want it to look. If you're at all interested in planning a trip out West to Montana, learning more about like, I think it was a behind the scenes kind of episode of what it means to keep the places that we see in these glamorized versions of the West, like Yellowstone running and, um, you know, all the traditions associated with being stewards of the land. And it was fascinating. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. And without further ado, we'll let Stephanie take it away. Welcome back, Secret Spillers. Today is a really exciting episode. We are introducing you to actually a former roommate of mine. And Joan, you don't know this, Steph is a Kappa. So this is a little sister (laughs) sister episode. Um, Stephanie Seif works for the Bitterroot Land Trust in Montana. Stephanie is a key player in the organization's marketing, content creation, website, social media, and special events departments. She has a bachelor's degree in communications with a minor in animal science from the University of Arizona. Inspired by the natural wonders of the West, Stephanie first recognized the importance of land conservation while working as a guide for her family's outfitter business in the Wallawa Mountains Eagle Cap Wildness of Northeastern Oregon. Her passion to protect special areas that are near to her heart motivated her to pursue a career in helping to keep special places the way they've been for years to come. Stephanie enjoys backpacking with her dog Shadow, fly fishing, and exploring the backcountry on horseback. Cold beverages, good barbecue, and the great outdoors fuel her creativity. We are so excited to gain Steph's perspective and welcome her to the pod. Welcome, welcome. Steph. <laughs> that sounds good. I must have written it. Yeah. Um, also exploring the backcountry on horseback. Why do you sound like the coolest person I've ever met? Yeah. Heroine of some Western movie. (laughs) We need a, um, I had a girlfriend tell me that a secret spiller retreat will be in the future of our podcast, Jay. And I think horseback, horseback riding sounds like a good thing to do. Absolutely. On, on brand for us. (laughs) Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. You guys have really interesting guests. I've enjoyed listening to the diverse um, voices and perspectives that have been featured so far. I'm honored to be here. Great. Well, yours is a, yours is a really kind of big picture perspective Mm -hmm. that we haven't, um, we haven't been able to have. So let's, let's start there. Talk to us about 
what a land trust is, where we find them, and what are they for? Sure, that's a really good question and a good place to start. And so a land trust is a community-based nonprofit organization that actively works to permanently conserve land. Um, in some cases, land trusts acquire land outright, but they also partner uh, to conserve land that remains the property of willing landowners called, using a tool called a conservation easement. So primarily here in Western Montana, Better Land Trust, that is kind of our, our way is partnering with willing landowners. And then once the land is conserved, we work to manage and steward the land on an ongoing basis forever to make sure that the land remains healthy and that it's still being used uh, in the way that the original landowner desired it to be used. So typically that looks like a lot of agriculture here in the Bitterroot Valley. So our kind of our driving forces for agriculture are cattle farming and hay farming here in this section of the state and especially uh, wildlife habitat here. So we have so many amazing native species that call this place home and have called this place home long before we came into the picture. So conserving land that allows them to continue to move and thrive here um, goes along with that, um, as well as water resources. We have an amazing river that is a blue ribbon fly fishing river, the Bitter River, and it runs throughout the entire valley. It's absolutely beautiful and it's some of the cleanest drinking water um, and also provides plenty of recreation opportunities, especially for fishing. So those are kind of the pillars of what we work to protect here is the working farms and ranches, wildlife and water. Um, and with that also comes open space, just naturally in places for people to get out and recreate and move and experience all of the things that the Valley has to offer. Oh my gosh. Well, this sounds amazing. How did you find yourself in this role? This is like such a cool career that you've kind of carved for yourself. Yeah, I, I fortunately stumbled upon this career. As Georgie mentioned, And after college, I actually lived in San Diego. That's where she and I were roommates. And I worked at a, a public relations and marketing firm. And so I was working for clients that um, were all the way from legal all the way to public education and everywhere in between and kind of honed in and found that the work that I enjoyed doing was with the public education and kind of helping to um, promote programs and organizations that benefit the community. So from there, I kind of started leaning towards the nonprofit world. I worked for a child abuse intervention center in Oregon, which was a great opportunity and learned about development and fundraising and communications kind of for a cause. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved the outdoors, my family, and as Georgie mentioned in my um, bio, really provided a great opportunity for my sister and I to experience the backcountry of Eastern Oregon through a guided pack service in the summers um, where we would take multi-day trips with clients and just expose them to off-grid opportunities and alpine lakes and hiking and wildflowers. And I think that really spoke to me um, 
because I found my passion and right. is the backcountry and those wild places. And so when I was kind of searching for a career change, I stumbled upon the Bitter Atlantic Trust and I admitted in my interview, I had no idea what a land trust was, but I loved the work that they did. And I knew that my communications and marketing skills um, could be used to amplify that work. And I, I found that I will always work for um, a mission-based organization and it's just been a great fit. Mm, Steph, it's such a great reminder because I remember like, your kind of work life in San Diego. And so I have been wondering, like, how did you get to where you were? And it's such a great reminder that the skills that you have, plus like passion, and you just said mission driven work, you can always blend the two together and get yourself to like where you want to be and where you where you want to make an impact, whether it's in career or you know, hobby volunteerism, that sort of stuff. So um, thank you for like sharing that journey. I think that it's really inspiring. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Georgie, on like, hopefully we have some secret scholars listening who are like, oh, maybe my skills that I didn't quite think were applicable to this can be used in the way that I'm I'm dreaming up using them. Um, so I think that's such a great um, word of wisdom for our, our people. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think if, once you find something that you really are passionate about, whether that's through volunteer work, even mm-hmm. if not, if you're not able to donate your money and donating your time and your skill set, mm-hmm. whether that's photography, social media, and um, you know, getting out and doing real boots on the ground work. I mean, nonprofits that serve um, a great mission are so worthy of time and any any fashion that you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as our, you know, average listener of the pod is listening, how mm-hmm. can they have an impact on their communities and their nat- natural habitats that they might not know or think about? Well, I would definitely encourage folks to explore their area, their states, their counties, and find if there's a land trust near them. There's land trusts in all 50 states across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and our Bitter Land Trust here in Hamilton were just honored um, at the 2023 Land Trust Alliance, which is the umbrella organization that advocates on behalf of all land trusts in the country. But we were just awarded with the 2023 Excellence Award. Wow! Congratulations! So, thank you. It's it was an honor that um, definitely was earned by our community for supporting conservation. So. If folks are interested in learning more about conservation and what that looks like in their areas, definitely research um, on the Land Trust Alliance website. There is a great search engine that is called Find a Land Trust. You can mm-hmm. just type in your zip code, your city, state, wherever, and it will pull up the closest um, land trust to you. So whether it's volunteering, attending an event um, mm-hmm. that the land trust puts on to learn more about what they're protecting, you know, if it's in an urban area, is it urban parks, cleaning trees? Um, it can look really different or all the way to the more rural farming, ranching um, type of work that we do here in Montana. There's um, there's definitely a lot to learn. So I would start there and then see about uh, what parks or public access that land trusts have available for people to check out too. We, 
here in Hamilton, um, or in the Bitterroot Valley, we have three parks that the land trust helped to open to the public for, wow. they're all riverfront parks, um, great fishing access, trails, and most importantly, that open space that connects people to place. Yeah. That's the whole point, right? Like if, if we protect the planet, we need to be able to access it, like, and mm -hmm. accessing it allows us to understand why we need to conserve it. So it's this like beautiful cyclical thing. Yeah. So going off of that, um, a lot of time conservation efforts can seem like a good idea in the, in a big picture way, but we don't actually understand the impact of our choices on like a more micro level. Can you give us some concrete examples about why like our little decisions as small people in the world matter? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that is my favorite part about my job are the people and landowners that I get to visit with and learn their stories and hear their perspectives as to why they chose to conserve their properties you know a lot of the times they could have gotten you know five ten million times more and um, money if they would have sold the land to the developer or mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting that the financial component isn't the driver here mm -hmm. for these landowners especially we live in a valley that if anybody watches this show yellowstone that I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, that's where my mind is. <laughs> so Yellowstone is filmed in the Bitterroot Valley. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. It's absolutely. And it's been it's kind of a, a great opportunity to connect people from all over the world with these natural places, even if it's on TV. So with that, the, you know, the rate at which this valley is growing is off the charts. People mm -hmm. want here. It's a beautiful place. I mean, especially when COVID hit and people realize they don't have to work in an office. Yeah. Days a week. There's that remote possibility. So the growth rate that the Bitterroot Valley is experiencing is just astronomical. So these landowners that want to conserve their land are doing it full heartedly because they love their land. So mm -hmm. back to your original question, what can people do you know, today to make a difference. One of my favorite quotes and one of the ones that has resonated so strongly with me during my time here is that they're not making any more land. Mm -hmm. What we have is it. Once the concrete's poured over, once there's, you know, a storage facility put over it, we're not getting it back. So we have what we have to work with now. So with your support and learning more about conservation and how you can help and be an advocate um, really makes a difference. Last year in 2022, we went out on a big stretch and ran to pass a countywide open lands bond. So we live in a historically very tax averse area. People don't like paying taxes. Mm -hmm. The bond passed with a 71% passage rate. So wow. $10 million is going towards funding conservation projects throughout Rebellion County. Mm -hmm. So even if it's as simple as a yes vote or yeah. a friend or neighbor, hey, this program, you know, this, this um, land trust is working to help our neighbors preserve the way that the valley looks forever can make such a big difference. And a lot of the times it's neighbors talking over the fence to one another and building that trust. Mm -hmm. So that's been 
really, really fascinating to watch here. Can I ask, has the impact of the show been overall like positive or negative on the on the valley? I don't know if I'm allowed to ask that. That's a good question. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's been, you know, a little bit of both. I mm-hmm. think that the show definitely has brought Montana and the Western United States and that rural way of living onto the big screen in such a romanticized way mm-hmm. that more people are connecting with that sense of place. People during COVID that were sitting in apartments and not able to go mm-hmm. out and they're watching this show and these beautiful places, I think going back to connecting people with place did such an important job. Now, whether or not the rate of tourism that we experience here right. or relocating here and housing and things like that, I think it's a whole bunch of factors. I don't think it's just the show. I think, like I said, it's COVID. People want to live in the West and life is short and we all deserve to be able to enjoy these beautiful places. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all had that moment of uh, thought, like, where are we and why are we living here and and what is it doing to serve me? And um, I like that you said that the show is just helping people to connect to a place that they might not have seen or, or appreciated before. And I also just want to highlight that, like, you remind us to vote. Mm hmm like period to vote like that is a way that we um can make changes and make choices and um that conservation like lies in the hands of of voting and bills and um that was such a great we all have um, that power right yeah that's all something we none of us can say if we live in this country that we can't we can't do um so or I guess I shouldn't say that obviously there are exceptions but a large majority of us um I feel like this is really interesting too, because it's a little bit of like the behind the scenes of Yellowstone, right? It's like (laughs) glamorous, like you said, it looks amazing, but you know, there's real work to be done to keep these places looking so beautiful and serving, you know, the community. So thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. I know one of the, you know, interesting things is with the show, romanticizing ranching and farming lifestyle it is not easy. The <laughs> folks that make a living and the family farms and ranches, I mean, this morning it was below, just about freezing, below freezing. And that means that there's a lot of frozen water tanks out there in cattle pastures that their families depend on to be able to wow. that they have to go out and break even before the sun comes up and they won't stop. I mean, that's 365 days a year, but you ask any rancher or farmer or landowner, why they do it, because they love it. And mm. that is one of the most inspiring things. I mean, no one's retiring early or retiring yeah. at all. Right. It's life. It's lifetime. lifetime. And it's something that this community is so proud of and with these shared values and heritage. So if conservation helps to keep that intact too for the next generation, um, Right. It's not even just the land you're conserving. It's everything that comes along with being a steward of the land. Um, all the traditions and memories. Yeah, as you're driving to work, when you're driving by fields and you see those beautiful views and the clean river, I think, I mean, driving in, I saw, you know, a, a calf that had just been born. Mm. I'm like, the first person to even see that in the world. Yeah. Oh, that gives me chills. <laughs> 
And for kids to be able to have that experience and make that connection is another huge component of that here. Mm -hmm. And your parents clearly gave you that with the work that they do and just the exposure. I think um, like what a, what a great reminder that these small acts of educating um, our kids and the next generation, like it really does serve what they will choose to do um, with their with their careers or choices in the future. Um, I think it's, it's important to remember too, and I need to remind myself of that, is that not everybody has the same access to outdoor recreation. If you mm-hmm. live in a rural community, you still might not have access to that. If your parents right. or caretakers didn't have that um, availability to be able to expose you to the you know backcountry and things like that. So that's why, you know, even parks and places that are easier to get to that land trusts help to create and make available are so critical because it's getting people out on the land, even if it's not in a really remote way, just getting that experience for, for kids who might not have access is so important. Yeah, that reminds me of in San Diego when I was in the teaching program, part of our um, program, we ran field trips at the tide pools in La Jolla. And um, just before the first one, I remember our like mentor teacher said, there might be some kids at this field trip who have never been to the beach before living in San Diego. And so, um, yeah, like perhaps part of conservation efforts can be helping to fund programs for youth to, to get these sort of opportunities. It doesn't have to be um, you know, the land trust in your backyard, it can be the, um, community, the schools, the kids, um, it, it really, those partnerships are so important to mm. We partner with other nonprofits, schools, um, local FFA chapters, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, people, anything that we can do to help get kids' hands dirty, and maybe they're stepping in cow poop, and that's not the worst that's thing. That's great. Yeah. Learning experience. <laughs> Speaking of stepping in cow poop, what's a cool experience that um, you can share with us from your time in Montana and working in the Bitterroot Valley? Gosh, there are a lot of experiences that I would never have experienced before moving here. I remember when I was thinking about moving here, I talked to my dad really candidly and he said, Steph, you know, it's, it's a long way from home, but you're going to experience things that you'll remember your whole life. So I think number one is the wildlife that I've experienced and just that feeling of, I know I mentioned the newborn calf earlier, but whether you're on a hike or somewhere so remote and you see something that no one else sees, whether it's a herd of elk that mm-hmm. you come upon or it's um, you know a beautiful rainbow trout that you catch when you're by yourself just those experiences that you know are almost just made for you and you can't explain how cool it is you can try and take a picture but those are really some of the life-changing things that have happened to make me appreciate where I live another thing I volunteer with the backcountry horsemen Selway Pintler backcountry horsemen and that's a volunteer group who goes and rides horses into remote areas and helps clear trails for hikers and mountain bikers from down logs or brush. And so getting up 
on horseback much further than I could get on foot in a day. And just having that connection is something that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, what a gift. I want to ask too, we do this a lot, obviously, you know, go off script. What does a typical day look for like you? Is there a typical day for you? Like, I'm just so curious what like an average Wednesday is like for, for staff. <laughs> yeah, well, it depends. I will say on the weather. So weather is okay. a big driver of lifestyle here. Um, in the summer months, you know, you try and get out and cherish it as much as you can. So I have a dog, Shadow, who is with me right here in the office. Aww. Um, <laughs> he, Hi, Shadow. Yeah. Shadow didn't give me a choice whether or not he was coming today. Um, he made that decision for us. But get up, take him for a long walk, and just be out in, in, in nature. I know that sounds cliche, but, you know, look for elk, look for deer, uh, listen to sandhill cranes, and, you know, go to work, have, you know, learn about an exciting new project, you know, 820 acres that's going to be protected forever, and think about how I'm going to share that amazing news with the community, and then... Oh uh, gosh, go home, go fish before this is a summer day. Oh my God. <laughs> That's <laughs> a long no. day. And be like yeah. removing Montana. <laughs> yeah. Go fishing. I mean, just yeah. try and savor from that. And then if I'm lucky, have a great elk steak that a coworker harvested and shared with us for dinner that you know came from wow. the food. So it's a it's a way of life that once you're in, you're in. Mm, yeah it's hard, yeah, to, it's hard to leave that yeah, yeah. if but, someone was interested in trying this way of life exactly <laughs> um and visiting the Bitterroot Valley where should they start what does that look like especially um in a really you know conscious way as you've talked about this um kind of boom in visitors yeah, depending on where you're from, I have always been a huge advocate in road trips. I think they're fun. And it's a great way to see the neighboring communities and those kind of funky and talk to locals. I would take a trip out west. You know, we're an hour south of Missoula, so there's an airport there. We're in a close proximity to Glacier National Park, so it's about a three, three and a half hour drive from the Bitterroot. So you can really make a big, you can get a lot of bang for your buck if you come to the Bitterroot Valley. Um, I would just get in the road and get on the road and start driving and make sure you don't hit me around the way. <laughs> and then Yellowstone and Bozeman, you know, that's about four hours away. Just mm -hmm. spectacular, amazing, amazing natural features in both of those parks. And yeah. Yeah, imagine a lot of hiking a lot of fishing a lot of great food do you have any like restaurant recommendations or places to eat for anyone who might be going there yeah, my favorite restaurant is sawmill saloon in Darby. Yeah. yeah to the sawmill it's um great um great chef there great menu and it's never a dull moment so I imagine a lot of places are very into like cooking seasonally and using, you know, what, what naturally can be grown in the Bitterroot Valley or what's, you know, native to that environment, which is probably really fun. Oh yeah. We have a lot of great berries here. And so, of course we have the huckleberry and then we have, you know, wild raspberries and um, has cap honeyberries. So that's really fun to sample those at different restaurants and stuff. 
Okay. Well, we have one more question for you, Steph, before we get into our rapid fire round. Um, and it's kind of a big question. So we'll leave every, the secrets below something to ponder, but in your opinion, what does the future, um, of land in the West look like ideally, uh, in a perfect world? And, and how do you think we start thinking about getting there? I think in a perfect world, the in the West, the farms will still be farming, the ranchers will still be ranching, there will be unobstructed views, there will be places to go where your cell phone doesn't have service and you don't see another person in sight where the wildlife is still thriving and um, people care about protecting that place and just having that sense of being a steward for the land. And ideally, I want places to still be the way that they look today than when I return with kids or grandkids down the road. Yeah. I, I love the word steward has been used a couple of times. And I think, you know, we don't have to be backcountry horseback riders to be stewards of the land. Um, so we want to be. <laughs> we want to be. You can be a steward of the land at your local community garden right? or your farmer's market and you can mm -hmm. local agriculture that way and people in your community are growing food and there's so many ways to to do it, and yeah, like you said, I mean, you can be anywhere and still take care of the land and leave it better than and the land, the the only land that we have, like you said, we're not. No one's making more of it. I really like that. Um, okay, so I feel like you gave us a couple experiences. Is there anything else that you have found yourself doing out there that you never expected to be doing? So this year, I participated in my first deer harvest. And oh never hunted before. It's a big part of tradition and legacy here and knowing where your food comes from. Mm -hmm. And so I think as I've gotten older, that's just resonated with me more. But I, I participated in um, my first deer harvest and I was successful. And just knowing that I'm able to. What does that mean? What is a deer harvest? <laughs> <laughs> she got a deer. Okay, you hunted a deer yourself. Yes. Oh my God. And then you prepared it to eat. Yes, I had help with experienced hunters. And so that's okay. definitely part of the tradition is going with people that are more experienced and you can learn. It just gave me a better understanding about um, managing wildlife and um, the benefits of management for mm -hmm their well-being too so it was kind of right. a holistic experience and then fortunately I was able to be successful and so grateful it was such a neat and emotional experience all in one so if you guys um come out and visit off to you guys a little venison steak exactly <laughs> I'm do ready watch, do you watch the crown stuff I don't know there's um it's in its final season. So we're with Prince William and Harry as like young boys and there's such hunting culture in the UK and they do like a whole ceremony around getting your first deer. Um, wow. And so it's just reminding me of that. <laughs> I have to watch that. I'm excited to watch it. So I feel like good. it's all been building up this season. More on this for TV. More time. on that. For, yeah. yeah. 
let's um i want to ask steph what her favorite outdoor apparel brand is um for any outdoorsy secret spillers who want the inside scoop yeah so this is a, a brand it's a it's a shoe it's a boot that i would recommend if you live anywhere that maybe not san diego if you don't live the perfect weather year-round but muff boots mm. so they're amazing slip-on boots that are insulated they are super warm they're comfortable if you i mean in oregon with the rain definitely mm-hmm. yeah and and you can put them over jeans and when my toes get pulled, that's the only thing that might waver <laughs> my willingness to get but these babies are they're the real deal. Must be here mm-hmm. first, guys. And speaking of being warm, final rapid fire, a go-to warm winter drink. Gosh, let's see. I'm I'm kind of a sucker for a hot toddy. Ooh. I wish I liked a hot toddy. I think it's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when I'm like, like sick, but also want to have fun. So it would actually be <laughs> drink for me right now. Right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'll be getting tonight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Steph, this has been really, really interesting and powerful. And I think people are going to um, just take away something, something really different from today's episode. So thanks for giving us a little window into your life out there and your work and um and yes, the meaningful where can, work where can our listeners find you and and support um the land trust and the Bitterroot valley so thank you guys for having me um absolutely to learn more about the Bitterroot land trust visit bitterrootlandtrust.org slash donate have to put that plug in there um <laughs> one thing i didn't mention earlier is that Land trusts are nonprofits, and so the way mm-hmm. that we're able to do this work is through donations, community support, and um, so that's a big component of it. But to learn more, visit bitterlandtrust.org. And if you live um, anywhere else, I would encourage visiting the landtrustalliance.org website. There you'll find more information, your local land trust, and then it will be off to the racing. Amazing. Right. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you, guys. Bye. If you loved this pod, follow, review, or share it with a friend. If you want to share it on your Instagram story or your TikTok, we'd be eternally grateful. Thank you for being a secret spiller. We'll catch you next time.